Amen. We have been for several weeks talking about spiritual laws. Spiritual laws. There are four of them that we particularly are focusing on. The first is the law of love, so-called in James 2.8, the royal law, and we spent two Sundays with that one. And then the second one that we will talk about today is the law of life. And Romans 8.2 says that the spirit of uh, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus makes us free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life, rather. So the law of life is the second one. Number three, the law of faith. Romans 3.27 speaks of the law of faith. And then the fourth one we'll get to at some point, the law of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6.7, whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. What we mean by law is not an ordinance that can be changed like the speed limit, don't you wish it'd go up, or whatever it might be. But we're talking about, and sometimes you just have to take the law into your own hands. But anyway, <laughs> vigilantes on the highway. Uh, <laughs> what we mean by this is a law is a statement of fact of what happens when particular conditions are present. For instance, the law of gravity in the natural, it works, you know, everywhere when, you know, certain conditions are met. If you're on earth, you're subject to gravity. If you don't believe me, look in the mirror. But uh, gravity works. <laughs> We're not sure how much it works for us and how much it works against us, but it works. One characteristic that makes a law truly a law is that it does work for everybody, and it does work everywhere, and it does work all the time. So when we talk about spiritual laws, these four spiritual laws, they're the same way. They work for everybody, they work everywhere, and they work all the time. They are not bound by time, they're not bound by space, and they're not bound by natural circumstances. They are eternal, they are spiritual. As a matter of fact, you and I studying these laws here in 2023, we're just getting a head start on our eternity with the Lord because these laws aren't going away. A million years from now, there will still be a law of love, there will still be a law of life, there will still be a law of faith, and there will still be a law of sowing and reaping. The problem with people who aren't sowers, for instance, I'm getting ahead, way ahead, but anyway, I've got to say this. The problem with people who aren't sowers now is when they get to heaven, they're going to really regret that, and then they're going to have to learn how to do it. <laughs> Something to think about. Something to think about. Today, however, we're talking about the law of the spirit of life. Let's look in Romans chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 and 2. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Say, that's me. Amen. So if you're saved, that's you. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. Just like there is a supernatural law of life, sadly, there is also a law of sin and death. We came under that law when we fell. When man fell, from that point on, all humans were living under that law. And the only way to get around it is for that law to be superseded. For instance, the law of gravity keeps us on the ground. But it can be superseded temporarily by thrust and lift and we call that flying in an airplane. But as we've said every week, might as well say it again today, gravity is still there. If you don't believe it, turn the engines off, and you'll find out gravity's still there. 
Well, what we're finding out as believers is that we are superseding the law of sin and death by living and walking according to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. However, if you get outside that law, you'll find the law of sin and death is still out there. And so we need to know what this is and how it works. We need to know the proper way that this functions. Let's go now to Romans chapter 10. I'm sorry, you're in Romans 8. I want to go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse number 10, a very familiar verse to us. We quote this a lot around here. Jesus is doing the talking, and he makes this statement. And in one sense of speaking, you could say he is contrasting these two laws that we're talking about. He said, the thief, talking about the devil, cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, where I came from, steal and kill rhymes. Steal and kill. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's all the devil comes for. If you think he's going to take you so far and call a truce and leave you alone, you're mistaken. If you think he's ever going to give up and decide that he doesn't want to steal from you and he doesn't want to kill, you're mistaken. So the law of life has to be in our lives a constant law that we live by and practice so that we are constantly overcoming the one who came to steal and to kill and to destroy. So that's what the devil comes for. Jesus, however, says, I am come that they might have life. So we see the contrast. And that they might have it more abundantly. The Amplified Bible says, the thief comes only in order that he may steal and may kill and may destroy. Listen carefully to this rendering of, of Jesus' statement. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. <laughs> oh, I like that kind of life. Amen. I got to read that again. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. This word life is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E, pronounced zoe. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that's an easy word to find in a good concordance or a reference book. There are other words other Greek words translated life. One is bios, and as you would think, biology comes from that. Uh, that has to do with physical life, the operation of physical things. Then there's another word, suke, and that has to do with things psychological. That has to do with thinking. That has to do with what we would call soulish things. So bios has to do with the body. Suke has to do with the soul. Zoe is spiritual and it has to do with your spirit in Galatians chapter 5 we've referenced this already in this study uh, uh, about the law of love remember the greatest and highest law of all but in in this uh, passage it says that the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering gentleness goodness faithfulness meekness and temperance when you think about that it dis is describing a life a lifestyle, a way of living 
whereby the spirit nature is dominating. Not our emotions, not our feelings, and not our physical urges and desires, but the spirit of man. Zoe is the God kind of life. You don't get it anywhere else but from God. You can't get it at the grocery store. You can't get it at the drug store. You can't get it from any other human being. You can't get it from angels. It only comes from God. Zoe is the God kind of life. It is what we call and what Jesus called eternal life. And I want to point this out about eternal life. We, we're used to that phrase. But there is another way of thinking, and this is absolutely correct. Eternal life can be called and is the life of the eternal one. Eternal life is the life of the eternal one. It is life as God has it. And guess what? God has made no prearrangements for a funeral or a burial. God does, I mean, there was a will made, but I mean, it's just wonderful. Jesus made a will, and then he rose again to become the executor of his own estate. Death happened once to Jesus, and that was our death. He died for us, and now death is gone. Life for us is eternal. This is life as God has it. It's life as God knows it. This is life in the absolute sense. God is so alive, you can't die if you're in his presence. You, you can't die. The law of life actually sets aside or supersedes the law of sin and death. It is a life force. Zoe is a life force creating the law of life. And Zoe speaks more of quality of life than duration. I don't know what kind of church everybody came from or what Sunday schools you might have went to when you were a kid. And I don't know what somebody taught you, but I know for me, uh, when, I, when someone mentioned eternal life, most of the time in those early days, I just thought about living forever. I just thought about that, well, this, it never ends. It goes on and on and on. And that is true. But eternal life, really, the, the, the term Zoe speaks more of quality of life than it does duration. It's not just about existing forever. That's what those without the God kind of life will do. But for those who are born again and have imparted into their spirit the divine life of God, the divine nature of God, then we're not going to just exist. We are going to live the life of God. And God's not going to take us down to some little shack down by the creek bank. I don't know who wrote, give me a cabin in the corner of glory land. But they didn't know what they were talking about. There are no cabins in glory land in the sense that we know them. And you know, believers have for centuries somehow swallowed this idea, they've taken in this idea that somehow there's a, there's a uh, virtue in just kind of being a, a poor, broke, busted person struggling along. Here I wander like a beggar through the heat and the cold. 
and my burdens are so heavy, Lord, my sorrows untold. Now, people sing that in church, and when you sing those kind of songs, some people will even cry and think they're getting blessed. You know, I'm trying to use my props here. Bless him, Lord. <clears throat> the other way of putting that is misery loves company. Jesus came to bear your burdens. We learned about burdens and loads last week, remember? Every man bears his own load. You have responsibilities. We all have things we need to take care of. But Jesus is a burden bearer. And thank God people like you come to our aid and our rescue when we're in need. And you are burden bearers, praise the Lord, manifesting the love of God. So we now have, we're not trying to get it. We're not hoping for it. We're not going to earn it someday. We're not working for it. We can't buy it. We already have, if we are born again, the life of God in us. And we're going to live forever. Not just an existence, but we're going to live forever. I remember an old bluegrass song. No, I'm not living. I only exist. How much longer can I go on like this? They're singing about their sweethearts, you know. But people are always identifying with sorrow, sadness, and, and gloom and doom. And I know, believe me, as a pastor, you know that there are plenties of opportunities for people to be sad, plenties of disappointments. There are lots of problems in the world, as you all know. But I'm here to tell you to tell you that if you have the life and the nature of God in you, the joy of the Lord will carry you through and over all of those things. And we weep with those who weep, but we also, praise God, rejoice with those that rejoice. I think some people got the weeping part, but they never caught on to the rejoicing part. Hallelujah. If you want to get over something, start shouting and praising and dancing and rejoicing and singing your way. You can shout through anything. You'll just let the Lord bless you. Amen. This life we're talking about comes into our spirit, but it can and it should and will affect our soul and our physical body. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, Jesus said, this life is the light of men. Eternal life brings light. It brings enlightenment. You just have to read history, if you can find any more an accurate world history to read. You just need to read it to find out that everywhere Christianity has went, light has gone. And every part of the world that was without the gospel has lived in, in a great form of darkness in so many ways. Not just spiritually, but even intellectually, emotionally, and in most cases also physically. The life of God is the light of men. I want to say especially, this is Family Sunday, to the very younger folks here today that are still in school. Eternal life will increase your mentality significantly. Learning to let God live through you. You will have thoughts that you would never have had without God's presence. 
And I don't know what your pedigree was. You may, you may have come from a long line of PhDs and, and you know, whatever, MAs and a whole lot of BSs. I don't know. You might, you might have come through. I don't know who all has been in your past. But you are not smart enough, I promise you, without God to answer all the questions that you're going to have and to deal with all the situations that you're going to deal with. You are but one true Holy Ghost idea away from another degree of wealth that you have never experienced before. You're just one decision away from a changed life because of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And that comes through eternal life. And then in Psalm 119 and verse 25, the psalmist writes, Quicken thou me according to... Uh, your word. There is quickening. You know what quicken means? Uh, Old English, the word quick didn't just mean fast. Today, quick means fast. Uh, But quicken in in the way it's used in the Old English is alive. God is the judge of the quick and the dead, the alive and the dead. And so sometimes older folks, older of us people, you know, if you ever, let me ask you this question. Have you ever did a self-manicure. You know, sometimes Glenda goes and gets these manicures and she comes back and wants me to brag on her fingernails. <laughs> and the other day she went and got some of that work done. And <laughs> I said, well, I've had a manicure and a pedicure today. And it didn't cost me anything. But have you ever cut your fingernail a little bit too much or a toenail too much and you can't, we say, into the quick? That means it's, you you cut off more than the dead part, you started cutting into the live stuff. And that's why you quit. Because you knew it. Well, the psalmist said, quicken me, make me alive, O God. See, the life of God will permeate into your body. Now, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says that if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Let me read the verse. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make life, make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. For a number of years, I looked at that verse just kind of casually. I thought about the resurrection the resurrected body, we're going to get a new body. But that's not the body he's talking about. One word makes us realize it can't be because a resurrected body is not mortal. Do you know that? When you hear the term somebody was mortally wounded, that means they're dead. And you hear the word immortal, that means not subject to death. This verse says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, or that we might say that brought life to Jesus' dead body, also, say also, Also. say that means me, will bring life to your mortal body. Your body is mortal. It's death doomed. You're not going to live in this one forever. We understand that. But while I'm here, while I have it, while I need it to finish my course, I am promised that the same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body will quicken or give life to this body I'm in now. That's healing. That's health. That's long life. 
That's strength. So you see, the life of God is this powerful force that emanates from God himself. It is so powerful that death cannot conquer it. Now, my body one day will quit functioning, but I won't. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We honored Miss Ruth yesterday, and you know on the second day of August when she took her last breath here on the earth, she did not have a pause. She was immediately in the realm of the Spirit, present with the Lord. You and I will continue nonstop. I mean, we're used to layovers at airports and waiting on a cab or a bus or a train or whatever transportation you're using. But this kind of transition is nonstop. You won't miss a beat, as we say. Your consciousness, your awareness will continue because Zoe, God's kind of life, overcomes death by making what we call physical death not a cessation, not an ending, but a transition. A transition, amen. This life from God flows to us from God himself. I'm going to ask you to turn, this should be easy to find, to Revelation 22. I told you it was easy. Last chapter of your Bible, Revelation chapter 22, and verse number 1. John is writing and he says, And he showed me a pure river of water of what? Life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. There is so much life in God that it emanates from the chair he sits in, if you will, as a river that can't be stopped, can't be overcome, can't be changed, can't be altered. It flows from God to us. It flows from God to us. In John 4, 14, Jesus told the woman at the well that this life he was going to give was a life that would be in whoever receives it, a well of living water. And in John chapter 7, verse 37, just a few pages over in your Bible, he stood and spoke to the congregation that was there assembled and listening to him that day, and he said that everyone that thirsts, come unto me and drink, for out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. You see, the intent of God was that that river flow from his very presence to us and get into us and that we develop and cultivate an awareness of this and learn to cooperate with this to the point that it not only flows to us and it not only is in us as a well but it actually becomes an extension of that river of life. When you take the life of God and you lay hands on the sick you speak the word of faith you rebuke the devil in whatever form he tries to manifest. Whenever you begin to do that, you are allowing that life that's flowing from the throne of God to come and actually flow through you into the lives of other people. It's just like, you know, a, a water hose if, or a spigot in your house. I turn on the spigot in my sink. That sink is not the source of water. 
That faucet is not the source of the water. The source of the water is miles away. It's been brought to me. And so you know the source of this life, it's, it's, it's in heaven. The source of this life is the Father God. But thank God, he's piped it to you and me. And if you will only allow it, it will actually flow through. Turn the spigot on. Turn the knob. How do you do that? One way you do it is what you were doing here this morning. You praise the Lord with all of your heart. You magnify the Lord. You open your mouth and you declare the praises of God. You do it when you pray in the Spirit. You do it when you lay hands on people. And you do it when you speak His Word. Because Jesus said in John 6, 63, one of my favorite verses, I quote it all the time. He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So there's life through the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there is life through the spoken word of Almighty God. And so when we get those two things in proper order and we get those two things working in our lives, then we know that wherever we go, life goes. Now thinking back about John chapter 10 and verse number 10, when Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly, that they would have it to the full till it overflows, that means that this life is obviously measurable. It's measurable. And I think it's also obvious that there are people who seem to manifest more of it than others. People who seem to take more advantage of life than others. I want to suggest to you this morning something for your thought and consideration and meditation, and that's this. Our proximity to God in fellowship. Now, I know God is on the inside, and you can't get closer than that from a legal standpoint. That is true, and he actually is by the Holy Spirit in us. But we also understand that there is an aspect of Christianity we would call fellowship with God, where we acknowledge God. We are conscious of him. We make room for him in our thoughts, in our lives, our schedules, in all areas of life. Our proximity to God in fellowship determines how much of his life we're going to experience. Amen. And you know, I'm going to be honest with you, I talk about some about my past and growing up in church many years ago. One of the frequent requests that people would make when they would make prayer requests or they would give a testimony is kind of like a a standard thing that they, many times folks would, would ask about is pray that I'll get closer to God. Pray for me to have a closer walk with God. Well, that's an admirable desire, but you know what? I could pray for you, as they say, till the cows come home. And you're not going to get any closer to God unless you make a move. I can't do that for you, and you can't do it for me. If we want to be close to God and enjoy his powerful and marvelous life, and if we want to move even further and employ his life to impart it and to be a blessing to other people, we have to choose to fellowship with God. We're going to have to choose to spend time with him. We're going to have to choose to pull away from some of the earthly things that may not necessarily be wrong, but we're just going to have to find and make the time to spend in the presence of God. He's always with us. He's always in us. But we get closer to him in an experiential and manifested way. Think about it. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse number 10, the Apostle Paul made the statement to the Philippian believers. He said, uh, concerning his desire, he said, and he was talking about Jesus, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. Now, Paul had by this time been saved many years. I would guess that he probably knew God as well or better than any human on the earth at that moment. But he still knew I could know him more. He knew there was more of that life to take hold of and to enjoy. Amen. It is so powerful. As a matter of fact, Paul encouraged Timothy and us through the scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 and verse 19. If you're taking notes, write down 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 12 and verse 19. Now let's set a little bit of a, of a, of a stage here for what we're talking about. Paul was writing to Timothy. I think he probably figured it was going to be read by other ministers and by other, other church people would hear it. You know, in other words, there would be more than one person who would hear it's what I'm trying to say. And so when he wrote this, he was writing primarily to a preacher, a pastor, one that he loved and, and, and evidently had great appreciation for. And I'm saying all that to say this, Timothy was born again. Timothy was filled with the Spirit. Timothy was a good pastor. So why would Paul say in two verses... Lay hold on eternal life. Was he saying Timothy isn't saved? No. Was he saying Timothy isn't uh, right with God? No. He was saying that the eternal life that God deposited in your spirit when you were born again is something that you have to choose to lay hold of. You've got to learn to cultivate and develop this relationship with God. One translation says take hold. One says seize one says grab hold so that's something that I have to do so here's what I want to close with this morning if our musicians will come we'll prepare in a moment to receive communion together but here's what I want you to hear these instructions pay attention and learn to speak God's anointed living word don't just mumble and don't always just whisper and don't think that just thinking is good enough. Speak God's anointed living word. And you'll find you'll have to make yourself do that if you do it regularly, if you do this daily. I promise you, you'll have to make yourself. If you've never tried it, you don't realize what a battle sometimes that is. I don't understand why. I don't understand why it should be except that evidently the devil in human nature, really knows its power and doesn't want you to do this. Right. Which makes me know that this is something I sure enough want to do. Amen. Amen. Speak God's anointed living word and then choose to be a worshiper. Yes. You know, I heard a lady say, a gospel singer, she's gone now to be with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I think she's the author of the song um, uh, I told Satan get thee behind what's it? Victory is Mine yeah. <laughs> Sister Albertina Walker she wrote the song Victory is Mine and I heard her say in an interview about singing about church singing gospel singing she said you can't sing the gospel and be a pretty face I, I've never forgotten that. I thought that was really good. 
You know, a lot of people would be a greater worshiper, but they're, they're a pretty face. They really do think everybody's looking at them. Yeah. Oh, I could meddle here a lot. But y'all are already up here and don't want me to. It's not about what we look like. It's not about what other people think. It's about choosing to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we speak the word. We worship and communicate with God then through prayer. And then finally, we just simply choose to obey his leadings. Whatever he says to do, we do it. We go where he says go. We give what he says give. We do what he says do. He says forgive, so I forgive. He says walk in love, I walk in love. He says rejoice evermore, so I rejoice. He says give and it shall be given, so I give. I mean, you're just on and on and on. We do these things. And what you will find is that this very life force of God, the same life force that raised Jesus from the dead, that transcends natural circumstances and brings God's power into your life, this law of life will come into your situation and change whatever's wrong. Hallelujah. Well, that's my message for the day. Thank God for his word. Amen. Father God, this morning there might be somebody listening to me that is not saved. There might be somebody listening to me that has wandered away from the things of God at one time perhaps in full fellowship, but now they're not. But all these are simply one prayer away from being right with you. Just one surrender, one repentance, one changing of direction to come into line with your will and purpose for their lives and start anew. Start afresh with this new life, the God kind of life. Life as you know it, Father. Life as you have it. Life in the absolute sense. Life that overcomes all vestiges of death. Lord, I pray right now that if anyone needs to do so, that they right now would be convicted to say, Father God, I come to you in Jesus' name and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus did die for me in my place. And I believe that he rose from the dead and is alive today. And that he makes salvation available to me by grace through faith. So in the name of Jesus, I receive your salvation. I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I will serve you, Lord, all the days of my life. Heavenly Father, I declare you are my Father. And the life and the nature of God is in my spirit. I will serve the Lord all the days of my life. And because I have eternal life, that means I'll forever and ever and ever and ever serve and worship you. In Jesus' name.